Hey, good evening, folks. Good to be together. Uh, warm welcome if you're visiting with us. Just a joy to have you connecting at Destiny. Uh, my name is Pete, pastor here at Destiny. And uh, we, we love the journey of going through the Bible and unpacking what the Bible says. And sometimes when we're doing that, uh, we come across some challenging themes and subjects. The subject of sex isn't a subject that the Bible holds back on. And therefore, I don't think it's a subject that we should hold back on. It's certainly not a subject that society holds back on. So if the church is silent while the society is talking, then it leaves a void that should not be the case. So my desire as a church is that we talk about these kind of things as often as is appropriate and in a helpful way. That's my desire tonight. I don't want to be unhelpful. I want to be helpful. Say amen. You might feel awkward at points in tonight's talk. Comfort yourself in knowing that you're the one sitting there and I'm the one who feels a little bit more awkward than you standing here. All right, give me a high five. Smile, help me tonight. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you that you're among us and thank you you love every person in this room. Father God, we're tackling a subject tonight that I believe is something you're interested in. I believe that you created us to be sexual beings. I believe that you have a design for sex and a plan for sex. And I pray tonight as we touch on the subject and talk on the subject, I pray you'd help me to articulate some of the things I'm seeing in the Bible with integrity and with strength and with helpfulness. I pray, God, that you'd speak, I pray. The Bible is your word and I pray you'd speak through it. And I pray, God, transform our lives. Help us in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the theme of the title tonight is Can We Blank? Where are the no-go areas? What's allowed? What's not allowed? And I'm going to be specifically focusing on sex in the context of marriage. And I'm going to be basing what I'm talking about tonight uh, in the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, Song of Solomon is an amazing book and it talks about relationships, it talks about intimacy and it talks about sex. Uh, Stevie, who's one of our worship team, uh, you know Stevie, great, great guy, He's, he, he heads up our worship music ministry in the church. Uh, Stevie, when he was just a Christian, just a new Christian, he started dating his now wife, Elaine. And it was Valentine's Day and he thought, you know, I'm going to send her a Valentine's card, but I'm going to write on it a Bible reference because I've become a Christian. I want to put a Bible reference on it and be really spiritual in this moment. So he thought, I know, I'll put a reference to a verse from Song of Solomon. So he meant to put the reference, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7. That would have been a great one to put. But instead, he put Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 8. That was not such a good choice. Chapter 8, verse 7, had he had put the right verse down, Elaine would have turned to the Bible, oh, I wonder what he's saying, and opened it up, and it would have said, many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. But by accident, Stevie wrote chapter seven, verse eight. And that says, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes and the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples. <laughs> Stevie, what a Casanova. He said it was a mistake. I trust him. Pa- apparently, this is a true story. It's an absolute true story. Um, Elaine's dad found the card and looked up the reference and <laughs> went mental at Stevie. Elaine's dad's now in the church and everything's fine. They're married, they've got three kids, so apparently everything was fine. So uh, it's quite fun, isn't it? Song of Solomon. It, Song of Solomon's an amazing book. It's a book dedicated to uh, intimacy and sex and relationships. And isn't it interesting, in, in a Bible which has 66 books in it, one book is dedicated to that theme. So it is not unimportant to God. 
and you know it's also not unimportant to you. I'm aware when I'm talking about this is that there are various mixtures of people in the room here. Some of you have, you know, the culture out there is sex obsessed. And many people are sexually addicted. And it's distorted and warped. That's one extreme. Within the context of Christianity, tragically, so often Christianity has been silent on the subject of sex. Leaving people with a whole lot of unanswered questions and a void. And you know what happens when you've got a void? Nature pours a void. On the other hand, other, in other aspects of Christianity, you get people, and all they hear about sex is Christianity calling out negative sexual sins. And the Bible does, is very clear about negative sexual sin because God knows that something that was designed to be helpful, sex, in the right context, brings a lot of health and healing and life and blessing. But sex outside of the right context is incredibly damaging. So the Bible does talk about negative sexual sin. But I tell you what, if all you're hearing from the church is negative talk about sexual sin, then you're not hearing what the Bible says about sex. Because the Bible says it's a mountain of stuff, a good stuff, about positive view on sexual experience in the right context. And I want us to be a church where you hear more about what God says about his awesome design and the beauty of something that he created to bring life and blessing then you would be in a church environment where you're hearing the negatives about you can't do this and you can't do this. Yeah, we have the boundaries, sure, absolutely. God's clearing it for your sake. He's clearing it. Because, because you, you, in fact, you go around with a microphone, many of you would share experiences of where sex has been a terrible experience for you. It's messed up your life. You have many regrets because of this area. But the truth is, done right, you have many blessings because of this area. I'm also aware when I'm sharing, so there's an extreme of culture and there's an extreme of religion where it's, it's been silenced or misportrayed. I'm also aware in this context there are many people here and you have many experiences. Some of you have been abused. Some of you have deep regrets in this area. And so for some of you it's a very, very painful subject. So I get that being here tonight might not be easy for you and I get that. I'm not trying to make it hard for you. My heart and desire is to present God's word as helpfully as I can in a way that he lets build well for the future, yeah? God created sex. That's why we're talking about it tonight. God created it. God created Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful. He created sex. God wasn't in heaven looking down and saying, what on earth are they doing? He wasn't freaked out. It wasn't like, what's how? No. No, God, God was not freaking out. God created sex. God created it so that we'd have body parts that kind of, fitted and he created that we would have orgasm that in this awesome act God made orgasm God made it fun that was God's design I can only conclude what kind of God would have created orgasm a God who loves people a God who is actually interested in union and intimacy and incredibly heightened excitement in that union and intimacy that was God's design so I'm going to take you on a journey. It's the Song of Solomon. We're going to go through three chapters, chapters three, four, and five. And I'm going to make four, sorry, seven points in the journey of going through those three chapters. And as we're in these verses, we're looking at actually Solomon's marriage to his wife. And it talks about their just before marriage, going into marriage on the wedding night itself, and the after sex experience. That's what we're going to be looking at. So the first word I've got for you is patience. Say patience. 
Song of Solomon chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. Look, it's Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing a sword. King Solomon made himself a carriage. He made it from wood of Lebanon. Its posts were made of silver, its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple and inlaid with love. Look on the king, Solomon, wearing a crown and the crown with which his mother had crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day that his heart rejoiced. See, this is a moment where there's been waiting. The day has arrived. They've been patient for this wedding day. And at last, Solomon has now come. Solomon is the king of Israel, and the wedding day has come. The first key to good sex is patience. Why would patience be a key to good sex? I'm going to let an article answer it for you. The Daily Mail, uh, in in an article entitled, You Can't Hurry Love, Abstain in the Bedroom in the Early Years of a Relationship if You Want It to Last. That's the title of this article. And it's based on a study from from, uh, Cornwell University where they studied 600 married, married couples and 600 cohabiting couples. And they looked at the effects of sex before marriage. They found that those who waited to have sex were happier in the long run. The study found that early sexual satisfaction stunts the development of key ingredients for a thriving relationship. Delaying sex gave couples time to get to know each other and work out just how compatible they are. And and I quote, he said, good sex is sometimes confused with love. Some couples overlook problematic aspects of the relationship that ultimately matter more in the long run. And many people in the cohabitation environment end up in a relationship by default heading to one a direction of commitment where they actually haven't had the, taken the time to get to know each other. And the Bible talks about sex as the con, is within the context of marriage. And that is the safest place and the best place. So exercising self-control before you're married is important. And actually exercising self-control before you're married prepares you for exercising self-control for when you are married. Because for when you are married, it doesn't mean that sex happens all the time. It sometimes means that times in your married life where you have more sex, other times in your married life where you don't have as much sex. It comes in seasons. But patience is something really, really important. Now we move into chapter four, and now it's the honeymoon. And just to give you a context of how the honeymoon probably went in that culture, is that all the guests would be present. And then there was the bridal chamber where they would consummate the marriage at, at the wedding reception. So see you folks. Thank you for, I hope you've enjoyed your meal. You're hanging around, okay. So they, they hang around outside. They go into this chamber where they consummate the marriage. And I kind of have this picture of them coming back out and everyone going, yay, <laughs> applauding. So I I'm not suggesting that that you, you, <laughs> that'd be a really memorable wedding for your friends, I'm sure. Yeah, they're gonna be really biblical and do it like they did in the olden days. Song of Solomon, chapter four, verse one. Now it's, now it's, they've moved into the bridal chamber. This is their first night. This is their first moment of having sex. They've, they're married, now they're having sex. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. So what's Solomon doing here? He's turning his wife on. He's telling her she's beautiful. You see, sex begins before the bedroom. And a woman's most important sexual organ is between her ears. First key to good sex is romance. 
You see, there's a big difference between men and women. Men are like microwaves. Women are like slow cookers. It doesn't take long for a man to get turned on and he's finished shortly after starting. Bing! We don't really make that noise. It's a microwave. Microwave makes that noise. Women, however, are like slow cookers. It takes longer to heat up. Ping. <laughs> I just said that because I said that earlier. I had to make them similar. Men are like microwaves. Is this analogy helping anyone here? Is this, is this, are you relating this to anything to do with life? Okay, if you're not, talk to your neighbor and say, Can you, what was he talking about? Is this like Dixon's? Or, you know, okay, anyway. Men are like microwaves. Women are like slow cookers. There's a big difference. And men, it takes a moment to get turned on, but women, it takes longer. And the reality is this, men, if you understand this, it builds towards a fantastic sex life. If you don't understand this, that you, will, you will be the only one who enjoys sex. She won't. And it's really important you work this together. And God's designed it this way so that we learn to interact well with each other so that unconditional love is the foundation of a healthy sexual relationship. It goes on in verse one and says this, your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending on the hills of Gilead. What a compliment. Wow. So, but let, let, let's, before you write this off, let me unpack this. A flock of goats coming down a hillside. What is that speaking of? Her hair is like a flock of goats coming down a hillside. What's that speaking of? It's saying that her hair is down. A Jewish woman would have her hair tied up typically, but would let her hair down for when she's making love. This is an incredibly intimate moment where she is letting her hair down, indicating to Solomon that she's now ready for lovemaking. Why is it that typically women are the ones to initiate sex? The answer is because if it's up to the guy, he's ready. <laughs> kind of like that. any no, yeah, anytime, anytime, he's kind of ready. So the ball's kind of in your court, honey. So the women initiate sex. Apparently, you know, research says that apparently guys have a sexual thought every four seconds. I'm trying to concentrate on my preaching and you're all over the place. I completely disagree. I managed two minutes once. Um, but guys are, are very sexually active and very sexually aware and therefore women, kind of the balls in your court. But, but this woman here, this, this bride of Solomon, lets her hair down, initiating the fact that she is now ready to make love. Verses one to seven, Now, as we continue reading, he now works his way down her body complimenting every part. What does this tell us? It tells us that she is now undressing in front of her husband. And he's using his words to love his wife. It's interesting, the first time that man ever spoke to woman, the first time that Adam spoke to Eve when he was presented with Eve, it came out as poetry. Isn't that beautiful? And here Solomon is using beautiful words to describe his wife. And Solomon, and what you find actually, if you go back in the Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter one, you discover that she's actually incredibly insecure about her appearance. That's what it describes in Song of Solomon chapter one. And what Solomon is doing here is he's removing her insecurity with his words. That's very, very powerful. Song of Solomon chapter four, verse two. He's, he's now complimenting her body parts. Your teeth are like flock of sheep shorn, coming down, up, coming up from the washing, each one has a twin, not one of them is alone. <laughs> okay. He's saying, you know, this, 
There's nothing sexier than teeth looking like a flock of sheep. <laughs> he, he, he's basically saying, baby, I'm glad you've got all your teeth. <laughs> you know, no gaps. Yeah. It's, it's clear from the text. It's clear from the text that this woman was not a Glaswegian. Okay, that's very clear. There was none missing. There's nothing else I can really say helpfully about that verse, but let's move on. Verse 3. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind the veil are like halves of pomegranates. Your neck is like a tower of David's, built with courses of stone, and uh, on it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. The tower of David, saying, your neck is like the tower of David. The tower of David's uh, stood towards Assyria. It was a symbol of national strength and strategic defense. And when he's saying your neck is like a tower of David, he's saying you have got good posture. Ladies, keep your head up. Shame devastates marriages. And many people are carrying shame. It's interesting, in the Bible, the first command ever given to mankind was be fruitful. Have sex. It's kind of the only command we've done really well with. We haven't done really well with the rest of them. And yet, it's interesting, we were sexual beings before we were sinful beings. That's what the Bible teaches. But when sin came into the world, the first thing that Adam and Eve became aware of was their nakedness and their shame. And the first thing they tried to cover was their private parts. And they tried to cover themselves. And you need to understand that many people are carrying shame because of sin, because of mistakes, men and women. And you're carrying shame. And therefore, you no longer have the posture. You no longer feel healthy or whole Past relationships, past regrets, mistakes, bad starts. According to the NCCP in 2009, it surveyed the UK and they revealed that one in three have suffered from sexual abuse in the UK. One in six have been pressured into sex. One in 16 have been raped. So I know that many of you in this room have had different experiences that give you shame. But I've got good news for you. God takes away shame. In the Garden of Eden, they tried, tried to cover their shame with their own attempts of coverings. But the Bible says that God instigated actually the first killing. God was the first to initiate a death. God killed an animal. He skinned the animal. Blood was shed. He took the animal's skins and he covered Adam and Eve with skins of an animal. A prophetic pointer to the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who had 2,000 years ago died on a Roman cross, hung naked in front of the world he'd created, and shed his blood so that human beings can have their shamefulness covered. Your sin can be covered. Your regrets can be covered. Your sin can be forgiven. You can have a clean sheet and you can have a fresh start. That's what God did for you 2,000 years ago. Now, whether, that, whether you're carrying sexual shame or whether you're carrying any sin, we're sinners, you need to understand that he's the great savior and he can take away all your sin and cleanse you from all regret. Let's hear it for our savior, Jesus Christ. And posture changes when you know you're accepted by God. And this is why being whole before marriage helps you in marriage. Knowing that you're right with God, knowing that he cleanses you from all your sin, that's great. And also, you know, there's a healing power in the husband's appreciation. The Solomon speaks of his wife in such beautiful terms as she is undressing in front of him and there's a healing power in that moment. And by the way, there's something very attractive and sexy to a guy of his wife being confident before him 
And she's standing there with confidence before him. And now he goes down the elevator, bing, to the next level. Second word is preciousness. Song of Solomon, verse, chapter 4, verse 5. Your breasts, this is now, he's moved down. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. This tonight is your memory verse. You will memorize this. Fawns, well, that's an interesting description, isn't it? Fawns are there to be stroked, they're soft, and they're timid. And that's the analogy Solomon's giving us here. Fawns are timid creatures. Loud noises, the fawns disappear. But what he's saying is this, that you should gently approach fawns and don't scare them. In other words, be gentle with your wife, men. Be gentle with her naked body. She is not the object for you to outwork your sexual fantasies on. She is someone to be handled with great care. The challenge is that in a highly sexualized society, many of you have been exposed to sexual practices and all sorts of indecent experiences you've seen, whether it be you've experienced or whether you've been subjected to or whether you've seen. And it's framed how you view that moment of encounter. But the Bible says, handle with care. Verses six to seven. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of Myrrh and the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. And that's incredible. Solomon here saying about his wife who's standing naked before him, he says, there is no flaw in you. How could he with any integrity say that? You know, he doesn't focus on the flaws. The birthmark, the bit of weight, the scar. Your spouse sees past imperfections. It's like jeans, you know, ripped jeans, you get stonewashed jeans, you get distressed look jeans. You kind of pay more because they've got character. And what it's saying in these verses is this, what others see in you as a flaw, to me, it makes you all the more special. Even after having kids, your bodies change. Women, after having kids, you might put on a little bit of weight. You might have a scar. You might have stretch marks. But for the husband, it should be beautiful to you because it represents a sacrifice that she has made for the both of you. Never be critical of your wife's naked body. How can one woman satisfy you for years? How can it be that for years or how can one man satisfy you for years and the answer is your wife should be your standard of beauty we're flooded with images of perfect bodies in marketing advertising and in pornography but the reality is they rarely represent any reality three of our staff team went to a conference recently in Glasgow the p-word conference and they sent back some of the facts and figures and statistics. All fo- the, the conference was all about pornography and its abuse in society in a Christian context. And the statistics were staggering. It says that 79% of men and 76% of women visited a pornography site in a typical month. That's messing with people's heads. Over 56% of divorces feature porn in some form or another 
or have influenced the decision to divorce. You know, statistics say that in pornography, females modeling in pornography, in terms of their weight, only represent 2% of the female population. They don't look like 98% of the females. It isn't a representation of reality. It's an extreme mold. And the reality is, these images are all manipulated to give a false impression. You know, if the grass is greener on the other side, it's probably astroturf. It's fake. Do not fall for the lie. Many have, and they will tell you if you ask them and they're honest, the deep regret they carry. The big idea in the book of Genesis is that when God gave Adam Eve, Eve became for Adam his standard of beauty. God didn't say, do you want tall or short, black or white, long hair, short hair? He just gave her Eve, him Eve. That was his standard of beauty. From there on, he did no comparison. This is beauty. And he was satisfied. He was content. Let your wife be for you your standard of beauty. Third point, protection. Say protection. Chapter four, verse eight. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend to the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir to the summit, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of leopards. Earlier in the year, I was in, in Israel territory and Mount Hermon is an amazing but intimidating mountain. It's a huge mountain top. It's often shrouded in mist and typically through the year, you see snow on the mountain top of Hermon. It was a menacing place. And he also in these verses mentions lions and leopards. It's speaking of danger and intimidation. And he's saying, come away with me from those places. He's saying that I'm going to lead you to a safe place. The point is, this is is in the context of this is their wedding night. And he's saying, I'm going to lead you to a safe place. In other words, the bedroom will be safe. Our marriage will be safe. Apparently in a Jewish wedding ceremony, it was common not only to give a ring, the husband to the wife, but it was also common for the husband to take his coat off and place his coat over the wife signifying that you are now coming under my covering and now coming under my protection. The safest place in a marriage should be between a husband and a wife in a marriage. That's how it should be. You should be safe in your marriage. There is absolutely no place for abuse, either emotional manipulation, verbal abuse or physical abuse in a marriage. That is absolutely unacceptable, whether it be man to woman or indeed woman to man. Within your marriage, it should be the safest place, the safest and most protection place. If there is issues in your marriage and there's abuse going on, do not accept that. Do not accept that. Do not suffer silently. Feel free to come and talk to the pastoral team. If it's serious abuse, call the police. Do not live under threats. I don't care if your dad abused your mum or if in your culture that kind of stuff's acceptable. It is not acceptable according to the kingdom of God. You love your spouse. The safest place on planet Earth should be in the marriage bedroom and in the marriage itself. You are in covenant before God and God will hold you responsible for how you treat your wife. Give me an amen if you agree. Lions and leopards are, are dangers you to avoid. And I would say some of the lions and leopards you've got to watch out for in your marriage is secrets. Having secrets between you causes a distance. If you sense a strange distance between your spouse, there might be secrets going on. You need to ask them. You need to have an honesty in your relationship. 
And sometimes when there's an honesty, it's painful. Sometimes if one of, the, if one of you confesses sin to another one, that's a painful moment. But understand this, short-term pain, long-term gain. If you carry secrets, it'll be short-term gain, long-term pain. If you expose secrets, it will devastate, but you will heal. Protection. Verse, verse nine onwards. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister and my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and your fragrance of your perfume more than spice. Your lips drop with sweetness as the honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. And the fragrance of garments, of your garments, is like the fragrance of Lebanon. So here now they've gone from, um, they've gone from, speaking of each other and gazing on each other to now they're physically connecting. He's kissing. It says, milk and honey are under your tongue. What kind of kissing is this? Yep. We're not cessationists. We believe in tongues. It's in the Bible right here. Up until this point, intimacy has been with vulnerability and with words. But now, this physical touch, now that's physical. They've gone from undressing and seeing each other and speaking well of each other's bodies to gone from words and vulnerability to now it's become physical. Actually, what's very important here is this is important for successful lovemaking. That the process isn't rushed. If the process is rushed, the man will be satisfied, but the woman won't. According to the Channel 4, what porn doesn't tell you documentary, here's some facts and figures that they revealed on Channel 4. 10 to 15% of women have never experienced an orgasm. Up to 50% of women have them occasionally. And 70% of women are unable to achieve orgasm through penetration alone and must need stimulation of the clitoris to get there. For women, it takes uh, time to orgasm. Time it takes to orgasm can vary from a few minutes to half an hour. Conversely, 75% of man, men orgasm within the first two to three minutes after penetration. And premature ejaculation for a man is typically a pro problem when they first start having sex. Interesting stats. Very interesting. <laughs> anyway. But putting these things together, it kind of lines up with what Solomon's talking about here. It's important for you to understand what Solomon has done here is he has not rushed. He's gone from being vulnerable physically and speaking verbally and expressing love to now having physical touch. And what he's doing here is he is preparing as best as he possibly can them as a couple to have an orgasm together. He's protecting himself from premature ejaculation, which is often a problem for men as they, when they first start having sex. Because of the heightened excitement of the moment, they rush in there and... <laughs> with the women they take longer and so taking time over those, those early stages and, and building towards that moment is incredibly important for the women to be able to reach orgasm for it to be pleasurable 
Solomon wisely takes his time. He's wise. Solomon is one of the wisest men on planet Earth. He wisely takes his time and he helps her reach orgasm and he protects himself from premature ejaculation by not just diving in there, but by appreciating her with his words. He makes it about her. He's thinking, how can I bless? He's being vulnerable with her and then they become physical. Number four, purity. Song of Solomon, chapter four, verse 12. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my brides. You are a spring enclosed seals a sealed fountain here Solomon is the king nothing is out with Solomon's boundaries nothing is sealed from him apart from his fiance's virginity that's what he's saying here you've been a garden locked up guys and girls when you're dating do not go near sex you know keep your hands to yourself Keep the relationship pure before God and you will appreciate sex when it happens. He's describing his, his spouse as a, as a garden who is locked up and he's the king where there is no no-go areas but for the king, even for the king, his fiancée's virginity is, is out with his boundaries until this moment. You're worth the wait. Keep your virginity. And as a church, we, we, we try and do everything we can for couples who are getting married to prepare them for for these moments, but also for the lifetime ahead. So we do marriage preparation. And one of the books we'd recommend in marriage preparation for couples getting married, specifically in the area of sex, and I'd encourage you, if you're going to get married, don't read it long before you get married because your mind will start racing. Read it just shortly before you get married. And it's The Act of Marriage by Tim and Beverly LaHaye, where they go into a good, good amount of detail. So often what you find is the world goes into a lot of explicit detail on some of the things I'm talking about here, but it does it maybe in an unsafe way. But this book will go into similar detail, but in a way that in the context of the Bible and with a great emphasis, a godly emphasis. Fifthly, pleasure. Solomon, Solomon 4, verse 13 to 15. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruit, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calmus and cinnamon, and every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes, and with finest, all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well flowing with water streaming down from Lebanon. He's describing now, they've crossed into physical touch and intimacy and embracing and being with each other physically. And he's describing this in terms of, I love what the Song of Solomon does. It depornifies sex. It makes it poetical. And what he's describing here is he's describing smells and experiences all linked into this incredible euphoric experience he's having with his wife. And he does it in a very poetical way. It's describing creativity. It's describing foreplay. It's describing being with each other, touching each other, and being together. The Bible is very clear. There are several purposes of sex. For many people, the only purpose of sex in a religious context is having children. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, in the Song of Solomon, which is, is actually a book which describes in large extent sex and intimacy in a marriage it doesn't mention children once obviously sex is one of the great purposes of sex is having children but that's definitely not the only purpose and religion has narrowed it down to that but that's not what the bible says another purpose of sex is oneness that it's about developing and strengthening the oneness you already have as a husband and wife another purpose of sex is protection it protects you from temptation another purpose of sex is pleasure God designed sex for pleasure. And just as a side note, 
if sex is a regular part of your relationship, your marriage, then contraception is an obvious question you'll have. And, and the Bible says nothing on contraception, but it does say a lot about regular sex. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin, contraception. There is no issue with contraception. As long as the contraception isn't abortive in any way, contraception is appropriate and healthy and fine. And you can take advice in that. And that's something we would maybe talk about in marriage preparation as well. Song of Solomon chapter 4 verse 16. She says, Awake north winds and come south winds. Blow in my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Interesting. She's now speaking to him and, and, she's, and she's using poetical language again but there's lots in this. It's interesting, first of all, up until this point, in the Song of Solomon, there's this phrase reoccurs, do not awaken love until it's ready. Do not awaken love until it's ready. All the way through, it describes that how you can awaken love, but don't awaken love until it's ready. You don't want to awaken those desires and those feelings until you're ready for marriage. That's what the Bible's teaching. But now, all of a sudden, she says, awake, because the moment has come. There's no longer, you no longer need restraint. The moment has come. You're in this marriage moment and the Bible says now, awake. And she says, blow north winds and blow south winds. North wind is a strong, powerful winds and south wind is a gentle breeze. And she's saying, be strong and yet gentle. She's saying that to her husbands. And now all of a sudden, we see there's a change in, in the poetry. She's gone, from, she's gone from being described as a garden that is locked up. That's her virginity. All of a sudden, she invites him into his garden. She's basically saying, I'm all yours. There are three things which create great excitement in a man. Number one, what he sees, physical vulnerability. Number two, what he hears, invitation. And that's what she's giving him here. And then what he feels. She is opening herself up to him. And she is inviting him into her garden. He's, she's inviting him to make love. And women, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your husbands is ongoing invitation into that garden. Constant access, constant sexual access. Protects your marriage, strengthens your relationship, both women to men and also men to women. And the Bible says, let my beloved come into his garden. See how she describes her body as his garden. She's saying, my body is yours. And this is what the New Testament says as well. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3 to 4, the husband should fulfill his, um, sorry, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband's and the husband gives, gives authority over his body to the wife. What this means is that there are times where she'll be in the mood, but you're not. So you make love. And there'll be times when he's in the mood, but she's not. So you make love. It works both ways. And you don't keep score. It's like, okay, I've, I've, I've had one of those. Now you've had 10. No, you've had 10. No, it's not fair. So you don't keep score. This is about, he's in the mood, I'm not. We make love. She's in the mood, I'm not. We make love. That's what the Bible is saying here. That this is about unconditional. This is about saying, Do you know, I'm just, I've got married. I'm no longer about myself. I'm now his and he's now mine. And there's this ongoing vulnerability and ongoing access. 
Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. So here this is in a, in a, a hot climate. It's in an arid um, Middle Eastern environment with an arid landscape. And in the middle of that, she's described as a garden, an Eden, an oasis. And the invitation is to enjoy this garden. Let there be no corner in this sexual garden, this relationship you have with your husband, between husband and wife that you don't explore and don't enjoy. The question is what's allowed within the context of what's allowed in this garden? What's, what is allowed in terms of sexual practice in a marriage? And I think the Bible allows for all things as long as it's done in love. You see, men, but here's, here's some caveats. Men, your sexual parameters in sexual behavior and creativity are far broader than your wife's. So don't push her into something that she's not happy with. What's allowed in marriage? What's allowed sexually? You know, different positions, oral sex, masturbating each other, and obviously ultimately sex. Well, the Bible kind of gives space for conscience. It gives space for, it gives permission. The only rule is this, love. There is a difference between love and lust. Love gives, lust takes. If what you are doing is blessing you but not blessing them, that's not love, that's lust. So you don't go there, that's the rules. If what you are, if what you are engaging with together is an expression of mutual love, then go for it, permission given. You know, I would advise you to talk about it. It's kind of awkward chat. All right. Okay, well, not talk about it. Talk about it. It's, it's, more, it's less awkward talking about it than doing it. Okay, so I suggest talking about it. You know, you need to settle this. Go home on the couch. Sit down together and talk about these things. Figure out what you both want to do. Figure out what's permissible. How do you keep sex spontaneous for years? Well, here's some, just some top tips. Ladies, don't wear the same nightgown you've worn since the 1980s. All right? It, it's, you know, oh, but it's comfortable. No, it's time to get rid of that nightgown. It's gone all bobbly. It's not cool. It's not cool. But it was my mum's. Even more reason. Get rid of it. Okay, seriously. Get, it's time to go. It's time to go. Get yourself some sexy, sexy lingerie. Okay, matching panties and bra. Don't, 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 don't go weird. Just some, get some sexy stuff. Why is the sexy stuff always there for pornography or for movies or for outside of the context of marriage? Shouldn't marriage be the most exciting, coolest place? Just be cool, be creative, be exciting with each other. And I'm not saying you treat each other as objects of desire. I'm saying you love each other passionately. But make it cool and sexy. Preempt the ask. If sex only happens when someone says, could, tonight could we have sex? Then it kind of loses its spontaneity. Preempt the ask. And th this, this can happen men to the women or the women to the men. But typically it's the guys who usually ask. So ladies, preempt the ask. Surprise them. Catch them off guard. Make it spontaneous, make it exciting, make it cool. Guys, don't neglect your appearance. Make sure you smell good. Make sure you're clean. Make sure you're clean down there. Often, you know, and every day when you have a shower, 
clean down there. You know, I'm absolutely serious. Keep dating your wife. Women, keep dating your husbands. As years pass, keep dating. Plan sex. Make it part of your schedule. Put it as a code, like meeting with my senior team, or, or I don't know, I don't know. My senior team would look at me thinking, that's weird. Okay, let's, let's change that one, okay. Um, put a lock on your bedroom door, especially as the kids get older. My daughter's just sitting over there. She suddenly realized, that's why you've got a key in your door. <laughs> yeah, the penny just drops. My wife's over here, my daughter's over here. Okay, well. ah. I'm, not, I'm not embarrassed. She is, but I'm not. I'm fine. Put a lock on your bedroom door. It's a good tip. Number six, let's move on quickly. Possessiveness. This is now chapter five. Sex has happened. This has been the, this incredible moment where a husband and wife had their first night together. And now after sex, chapter five, and this is what it says in verse one. He says, I've come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey and I've drunk my wine and my milk. It's interesting here in the verses, nine times it says, my, 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 my. You see that in the verses? This is after they've made love. There's this incredible sense of possessiveness. And this is what the Bible teaches, that you become one flesh. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And oneness happens in this act of marriage, this act of having Sex, making love. You become incredibly one. You feel a deep oneness with each other. And ongoing sex constantly reinforces oneness in a marriage. Very, very important. You see, this marriage covenant you're in means you are one before God. But every time you make love, it is a non-verbal communication you are saying with your body what you said on that marriage day. Every time you make love, you are saying with your body, I am totally and exclusively yours. So you're reinforcing physically what you know to be true covenantally. And it deepens and strengthens oneness. And then number, number seven, provision. Song of Solomon 1, uh, chapter five, verse one, second half of the verse says, eat friends and drink Drink your fill of love. Scholars believe that this is the first and only time in the book of Song of Solomon where God speaks. And God says, eat friends and drink, drink your fill of love. God encourages sex in marriage. God wants sex to be something that satisfies you. That's what he's saying in this verse. He wants it to be something satisfying. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations in the context of marriage unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourself completely to prayer. After that, you can come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, temptation equals sexual appetite, not being satisfied in the marriage, and you start looking elsewhere for satisfaction. That's what temptation is talking about here in these verses. Regular ongoing sex in a marriage protects you from temptation because God's gift to a married couple is this gift of sex he said 
Be satisfied. God says that in Song of Solomon. You've got to find satisfaction in this area. It's God's gift to you to find satisfaction in marriage. And if that's not happening, then there'll be a discontent which leaves you vulnerable to temptation. And then it goes on in chapter five, verse 16, and I love this. It says, he is desirable in every way, my lover and my friends. You see, in the Bible, lovemaking and relationship and friendship go hand in hand. Love making and friendship go hand in hand. Tim Keller said this, and I, I love this. He says, sex comes out of relationship rather than relationship comes out of sex. The key to a good ongoing sex life is strong relationship, a foundation of deep friendship. And in that context, sexual activity thrives. Well, thank you for bearing with that. You have now come to the end of this talk. (laughs) The biggest relationship of all relationships is your relationship with God himself. Above all relationships, this is the relationship that will make you whole and ready for other relationships. And it's the relationship that will give you the deepest satisfaction that any relationship can give you. A relationship with God the creator. Tonight, we've talked about a lot of things. I haven't talked too much about Jesus. But let me add Jesus in here. That Jesus, the savior of the world, died in your place on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago to take away all your sin and to pay the price so that you could know God. Jesus rose again the third day. He's alive now. And if you're not in relationship with God, he has done everything possible to make relationship with God possible for, him, for you to know God. Talked about lots of things. I know it's relevant specifically for the context of marriage. And for some of you, that's not your situation. That will be your situation, but it's not just now. For some of you, it is your situation. I hope it's been helpful. But for every one of us, no matter who we are, no matter what our past or our background is this, you were born and created for one ultimate relationship and it's a relationship with God. And if you don't know God yet, tonight I would love the privilege and opportunity to introduce you to God the creator. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you so much for your incredible love for us tonight. God, we've touched on so many important themes and in the Bible we've seen this poetical language describing a relationship and an intimacy between a husband and a wife. God, my prayer is tonight as we go away, maybe a little bit uncomfortable, maybe impacted, challenged maybe, I pray, God, my prayer is this, that, God, we would see broken relationships healed. We'd see people with regrets experiencing forgiveness and cleansing. We'd see people not making the mistakes of their past. We'd see marriages strong for the days ahead. That's my prayer. I pray, God, we'd be a church where people thrive, whether they're single or married. That's my prayer. And God, most of all, I pray we'd be a people who know God. And that in that knowing of God, all relationships would be made well. That's my prayer. God, I pray for anyone tonight, God, who's, who these, these themes have touched a raw nerve. I pray in the name of Jesus for healing and strengthening and encouragement in their souls. God, I pray um, if I've made a mistake in anything I've said tonight and have hurt people, I ask forgiveness for that. And I pray for strengthening in their lives. I pray for marriages in this room. I pray for strengthening of the 
relationship of marriage. I pray for intimacy to be deepened and blessing to be in marriages in Jesus' name. I pray God prepare us for those who are going to be married. Prepare them for marriage. And I pray they will have a strong start to lifelong relationships.